Well, it is, two, it is a COC Sunday, so let me just share a little bit. For those who may not know what the Community Outreach Center is, it is an outreach of this church, uh, our church, uh, and is located next to Dairy Queen on 18th Street in Antioch, providing a large hot meal every night, every weeknight, that is, and building relationships with families, with men, women, and children. Helping people, we pray, overcome obstacles and connect with God's purposes. There are many serving there actively every week, sharing the love of Christ in a variety of ways. We have our resource and referral team that we're writing resumes and helping with job searches. By the way, I go through this list. There is a need for more help for in every one of these uh, ministries. So be thinking about it, um, if the Lord would put it on your heart. Helping with job searches, housing issues, we develop a, we're developing a work readiness training, tutoring for the kids. We'll start in February, every night of the week. Teams are working with kids every weeknight. We have drivers, driver's helpers, teachers, teacher's helpers. There are Bible studies, grocery distribution to, to our seniors, brown bag. Visitation teams going out and praying with people in the community every week. We're working side by side with the Antioch campus to make a difference in people's lives for Christ. We need help. If you are interested at all in exploring possibly serving, come to one of the two informational tours and a dinner that we're providing this Friday and the next, the 20th and the 27th, from 5 to 7. Any questions? And if you want to sign up for a tour, go to one of the tables out front. We've got three tables You go on out to the, and to the left. So God is good. God is, is good. What an honor it is for me and Bill, as the assistant pastor there, to be a part of such a great and dedicated team of people at the COC who, who does what's going on down there. We do see God impacting people's lives. He uses people through the faithfulness of each person doing the task that they are wired to do. And God uses the team. There are many examples of this that we could share. I spent all morning, we could talk about it. And I'm just going to share one. I got permission from a married couple, Jerry and Carol, who go to the Antioch campus. And um, they told me that recently that before they started coming to the COC a year ago, they were withdrawn. You know, I'm going to move forward a little bit because it's distracting to see myself up there on that. <laughs> Can I get down there? <laughs> but I can't see you. Um, so this is going to have to work. Where was I? <laughs> uh, talking about Jerry and Carol. They, uh, they've been coming about to the COC about one year. And before they started coming, they were withdrawn. These are their words. Isolated, in a rut, depressed, arguing a lot, very alone, without purpose, not excited about Christ or His Word at all. But now they are hungry for God's Word. They are serving almost every night, recently baptized. They said, he said, the quote, we are happier, we are finding fulfillment, 
We see now what our lives are really meant for. We were meant to live for Him and not ourselves. And they have a contagious love for people. You can see it. And a contagious love for God's Word, soaking it up. So what happened? What happened? Contrast before and now. Well, they found salvation in Christ, but God used a chain of encounters to bring them to Christ. It all began when their eight-year-old grandson, who lives with them, was brought to the COC by his dad. And let's look at the chain of encounters here. You have dad brings his son to the COC. His son loves what he's getting there. Then drivers begin picking up kids, and this little guy starts getting a ride every night. And the teachers and the teacher's helpers pour the love of Christ into his life. The visitation teams begin going out to their home and invite them to come. And he lives with his grandparents. At first, the grandparents weren't interested in coming. But then the grandson's persistent invitations, and they try it. And they haven't stopped coming since. And there were others in that chain of encounters that God used. The cheerful greeters, friendly people at the tables during dinner, a, a kitchen team each night putting out great meals and singers and musicians, speakers sharing the transforming messages of God's Word. Everyone is needed. God uses a team. Kind of sounds like the church. One body, many members, everyone needed. You know, though we feed four to 500 people every week, we are not a social gospel-type soup kitchen. If all we did was feed people, I'm sure there'd be some good. But if all we did was feed people without the relationship building and the discipleship making, I believe we, we would be doing more harm than good, helping people stay stuck, feeding unhealthy dependency, robbing people from discovering their God-given purposes and fluffing their pillows while on their way to hell. There must be relationships and proclamation of the gospel lived out in those relationships. All our praying and all our trusting Him and all our working in the harvest there, all of that is in the hopes that God will be honored among us, that lives will be transformed and our community impacted, and we need help. God cares more for the lost in our community, I believe, than we ever will, but He's given us a sliver of concern and compassion, and we want it to grow, a love for our community to pray for and hope to see a God-driven transformation in hundreds of families in our community. And why not? He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ever ask for or imagine according to His power that works through us. And Jesus said when He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them. He said they were harassed and helpless without sh sheep, without a shepherd. And He said the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest that he may send out more workers into his harvest. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing today. That's part of what we're doing today. All we ask is that you pray and be willing to say yes if God, uh, you sense him 
nudging your heart, then take some baby steps our way and sign up for one of the informational tours and the dinner coming up for the next two Fridays. Many of you already are very engaged in serving. It's at the COC, as many of you are, or somewhere else. But there may be some of you who are not engaged, that need to be for your good and for the furthering of God's kingdom work. Pray about it, please. All people, all people are lost without Christ. And all people need to hear and respond to the message of the gospel. God's main method to bring that gospel to the lost is you and I. If we are Christians, he uses frail, faulty, failing, sometimes fickle, imperfect people like you and I to deliver his message. He could far more powerfully and effectively deliver the message to our world by eliminating the middleman or the middle woman, by bypassing us. But he almost always chooses to use people. He wants to use us. He wants, God wants to use us. That's amazing. That's staggering. That's exciting. God, Almighty God, wants to use us to be His hands extended to other people. What a privilege. God wants to use us. That's something worth living for. I want to briefly look at three things today briefly look at three different characters in the scriptures who were lost and showing how God orchestrated their salvation through people. Look at our lives as well and identify how positioned are we as individuals to be used by God and then finish up offering some encouragement to become more the people God wants us to be. So I don't have these uh, first couple examples on the, the, uh, vid, the screens. I'm just going to go right through them, and then we'll spend a little more time on Saul. But in Acts 8, Philip is in the middle of a vibrant ministry in Samaria, and he hears God, and he is led by God to leave that ministry and go to a desert place where he meets a high-ranking official in charge of the treasury for the queen of Ethiopia, an Ethiopian eunuch sitting in his chariot, He's on his way back from Jerusalem, a worship event. He is hungry for truth, but he is perplexed and he is lost in need of Jesus. He's reading Isaiah with questions, and God leads Philip to the man to answer his questions. There's a divine spark. The man comes to know salvation through Jesus, he's baptized. And that passage ends by saying he joyfully goes on his way, a changed man transformed. God could have far more powerfully and effectively brought clarity for that searching man by speaking to him directly there in his chariot. But he chose to use Philip, a man positioned to hear and respond to God's voice. If Philip had been distracted with the static of lesser important things and not positioned to be sensitive to the voice of God, 
God wouldn't have used him. Probably would have used someone else. Another story, Cornelius in Acts 10. He's a devout, God-fearing, generous Gentile, respected, it says, by all the Jewish people. He was a praying man, but lost and in need of the Savior. And God orchestrates a series of events to bring salvation to him and his household. God could have visited Cornelius himself to powerfully and most effectively deliver the whole message that he needed to hear, but he sends an angel to Cornelius not to tell him the message, but to tell him to send for a guy named Peter who's in Joppa. He will tell the message you need to hear. Peter, a man committed to prayer while praying, is directed by God to go to Cornelius. He goes, he shares the gospel, and salvation comes into the home. Cornelius. God used a person, Peter, who was positioned to hear and respond to God's assignment. If Peter had been distracted by the static of lesser important things and not positioned to be sensitive to the voice of God, God probably would have used someone else. How about Saul? Saul, who later became Paul. We have in Acts 7, a powerful message delivered by Stephen to the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish ruling council. They're listening to Stephen. The message reaches a climax, and they're called out on their hypocrisy and their role in crucifying Jesus, and they had enough. It says in verse 57, at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Wow. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. This powerful proclamation of the gospel by Stephen and his prayer had to embed itself deep into the hearts of every person there, including Saul. And yet we find just after this in chapter 8, it says, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And later, in some of Paul's writings, his testimony before the kings, described this period of his life, and he said, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. I was a blasphemer, a violent man, the chief of sinners. The chief of sinners. Yet God orchestrates a series of events to bring him to salvation. It says that while breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples on his way to Damascus, Saul had a dramatic encounter. A bright light flashes. He falls to the ground. Hears the voice of Jesus 
not telling him the full gospel, but telling him to go to Damascus where he would be told all he would be assigned to do. God has a meeting with Saul on the road to Damascus. Why didn't God give him the whole story right there? God could have most powerfully and effectively continued the conversation and clarified the message for Saul, but instead God visits a man named Ananias and tells him to go share with Saul, and he does. God uses people who are positioned to hear and respond to his voice. If Ananias had been distracted by the static of lesser important things and not positioned to be sensitive to God's voice, God probably would have used someone else. But Ananias heard God, and Ananias went. And as Paul Harvey used to say, now we know the rest of the story. Saul became Paul, was used by God to proclaim the gospel of the resurrection all over the then known world, started many churches. He wrote a large portion of the letters that we have in the New Testament today. God uses people to go to people. He used Philip. He used Peter. He used Ananias and countless others in the Scriptures and outside of the Scriptures and through the years. And He uses us. How about us? Am I positioned to hear and respond to God's assignment? Am I available? Great questions to ask. Let me share with you briefly an encounter I had, personal story that greatly impacted me in my early walk with Christ very pivotal experience for me as a new believer in Christ. I distinctly remember then thinking I didn't know much about sharing my faith, but I knew it was important. I was working in the pediatric clinic at Oak Knoll Naval Hospital in Oakland many years ago. The hospital has since been demolished. It was lunchtime, and as I stood with a tray of food in my hands peering into the cafeteria, I prayed, God, Lead me. I'm available. I decided to sit across from a young man in his 20s wearing a hospital gown, which indicated he was a patient there. Friendly. We ate lunch together, and the conversation turned to the things of God. He seemed interested in hearing about Christ, so I began to share what I knew. Could not finish before having to return to work So I asked if he would like me to come up to his room and finish sharing with him. After I was done with work, I'd punch out and come upstairs, and he he gladly said, yes, I'd love that. So I went up to his room. After I was done working, I sat on his bed and shared all I knew how concerning the love of Christ and the gospel. He seemed to be soaking it in. He had been exposed to church growing up but had never understood the gospel, the value of the cross, the significance of the resurrection, the promise of heaven. And after sharing all I knew how, I asked if he wanted to ask Christ to forgive him and lead him, and he said, yes, yes, I want to do that. We prayed, I encouraged him, we exchanged addresses, and I left. 
He was transferred out of the hospital, and I never saw him again. I wondered if anything really happened there. I asked the questions that we often ask, not knowing the rest of that story. It seemed too easy. Was he sincere? Was he simply being polite? Did he really understand? Was God really in that conversation? He seemed so desperately interested. I received a letter from his mom a few months later. Apparently, he shared with her about our conversation and our prayer, and apparently it was significant to him. She wrote something to the effect, Dear Gary, Thank you for sharing the gospel of our Lord with my son. Thank you for your faithfulness to God and for your obedience in sharing with him. My son told me he heard the gospel from God through you and that he prayed to ask Jesus to forgive him and come in and lead him home. He had brain cancer. And died days ago. Thank you so much for sharing with him. Now I know I will see him again. I'm sure you can imagine how deeply impacted I was by that letter. And feeling so grateful that God had used me to bring this message to somebody, to save somebody. And to use me as a vessel. That mother had probably shared the gospel many times with her son. Sometimes the hardest people for us to reach are the people that are closest to us. Could the people that are right in our own homes, our own families. She was probably praying for God to reach him, even through someone else. And God used me to be an answer to that mother's prayers for her son. Are there people in your life that you're praying for, like I'm sure that mom prayed, family and friends and others? I wonder sometimes how much prayer is linked to God's orchestration of events towards the salvation of people. I wonder if there were believers in Jerusalem during the worship event that the Ethiopian attended who saw his hunger and perplexity and prayed that God would send someone to him, and God sent Philip. With the Gentile Cornelius, there were followers of Jesus who knew the gospel was for all, Jews and Gentiles. It was there in the Old Testament Scriptures, and I wonder if there might have been followers of Jesus who prayed for Cornelius, that God would bring revelation and salvation to him and his family and God used Peter. How about Saul? Saul was an enemy of the gospel. Do you think there might have been people praying for Saul? There probably were very many people praying for Saul with passion, prayers like, God, would you get rid of that man? God, would you make him sick? Would you disable him? I mean, those are really great prayers. Would you relocate him? God, would you kill him? I think we tend to want our major problems eliminated, our drug dealers in town, the pimps, the violent criminals, all criminals. And sometimes we're not praying, God, save them 
but I know we should be. There were likely some praying for Saul that he would come to meet Jesus. We know Stephen prayed for Saul, and the witnesses while being stoned, he prayed for all those who were killing him. While he was being stoned, he prayed that God not hold that act against them. I'm sure others were praying. It's interesting that the Scriptures mention, record, seven of Saul's relatives. In Acts, we learn that he had a sister and a nephew. In Romans, there are five relatives mentioned by name, and it's noted that two of them had come to Christ before Saul. Their names were Andronicus and Junius. In Romans 16, 7, Paul wrote to the church in Rome, Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. And we don't know how these guys were, were related to Saul, but that they were. They were relatives. And I find it fascinating that while Saul was hunting for and terrorizing the followers of Christ, there were people in his own family who had come to Christ. And I wonder if they had family gatherings back then, like many of us do in our culture, special occasions. Can you imagine? If they had gatherings, did Saul go to them? Did Andronicus and Junius go to them? When did Saul find out these guys had come to Christ? Were they closet followers, or did they let it be known? Did Saul know while he was on a rampage arresting and killing believers? And if he did, did he give his own family a pass? Speculation. These guys, along with many other Christians, likely prayed that Saul would meet Jesus just like we pray for lost loved ones in our own families. I'm sure they prayed that God would open Saul's eyes, that his heart would be transformed, that he would come to Christ, but it could get discouraging. Even Ananias, when God told him to go to Saul and place his hands on him, may have had some misgivings. We see Ananias giving God a little kickback, a little information, as though God didn't know. God had just spoken to Ananias in a vision and told him to go to Saul to lay hands on him. And Ananias says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. Lord, did you know that? He ever said something like that. And he has come here, Lord, to, with authority from the chief priest. I heard this. The chief priest to arrest and uh, 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 all who call on your name, Lord. And Lord, did I hear you correctly, Lord, and you want me to do, what did you, what did you say? Lord, are you sure you got this one right? And the Lord said, go. Saul is my chosen instrument to carry my name. Saul was on the top of the list of the least likely to ever shadow a church, ever to utter the name Jesus with any reverence. And I'm sure they prayed, but when they saw what Saul continued to do, it would be very hard to pray for that guy that he would, and believe that he would ever surrender his heart and become mightily used by God. 
ever been discouraged? Ever been discouraged in your prayers for someone? We believe God can save anyone. We believe nothing is too hard for him. No one is without exception. No one without exception is too far gone. His arm is not too short to reach anyone no matter what. But sometimes we get discouraged and we stop praying or we pray half-hearted prayers. Maybe you're praying for your mom or your dad or a brother or a sister or a daughter or a son, a friend, and you've prayed so long and you're tired. You don't see things happening the way you want to see it and you're tired. And the word here, like we got from Larry last week, is keep on praying. Don't give up. Jesus said to his disciples, always pray and don't give up. I can't tell you how many times at the COC in the last 19 years we have met people whose families had given up on people who were considered by everyone who knew them, everyone who knew them well, they were considered lost causes, no hope cases, all bridge, bridges burn, and the family had pretty much thrown in the towel. There may have been a lingering, a flickering, a whimper of a prayer, but very little to no belief that God would act. Yet God had something else in mind. And almost always through a series of relationships, he uses people positioned to be led by God. And when there is a divine spark, something happens. Everything changes. Only God can change a heart. And we need to keep praying that he will. You know, many of us are praying for people in our lives family, friends, and others, and some may be under our roofs and others living away somewhere, but we pray God will use someone. Bring someone, Lord, who is bold and sensitive and unashamed for you, someone who will start a relationship with, with this person, with him or her, who will ask good thought-provoking questions and respectful questions we don't want someone who is zealous for Jesus, but way out of balance, way out of touch, insensitive. We want someone who is real, relevant, to effectively point them to Jesus. Someone who is real, to point them to Jesus. And I believe that while we pray for a divine connection for those we are praying for out there, wherever out there may be, there are people out there praying God will raise up someone to dynamically connect with the persons they are praying for here, around us, people in our everyday life, the people that we mingle and rub shoulders with. We want to be to those here what we're praying others will be to those we're praying for out there. So how do we position ourselves to hear his voice and respond to be the answer to someone else's prayers? I'm not an expert. 
Uh, I am plodding along just like all of you were plodding along. I don't have this figured out, and I am very humbled by so many that I get to hang with at the COC who love Christ with all their hearts, and they love His Word, and they're great examples of people who dedicate time to get to know Him. And certainly I'm at risk here this uh, morning to, of oversimplifying this, but how do we position ourselves to hear His voice and respond to be the answer to other people's prayers? One, we make spending time with Jesus a priority. And two, we don't allow ourselves to be distracted by the static of lesser important things. Make spending time with Jesus a priority. In the beginning portion of Acts, we read about the explosive beginnings of the church. Jesus is risen. The disciples are turned on with the message of the resurrection. Peter and John are arrested, and they stand up in front of the Jewish council to boldly declare the gospel. And it says in verse 13 of chapter 4, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That was what turned ordinary men into the extraordinary. They had been with Jesus. If we are going to be used by God and led by Him to be the answer to other people's prayers and to be all God has designed us to be, we must make spending time with Jesus a priority. When we make time to be with Him, when we spend time with Him, it is a dialogue. It is a two-way conversation. We read His words. We think about them. We linger on them. We ponder on them. He speaks to us through His Word. We ask Him to help us understand and learn, and we pray. We share our fears and our concerns and our needs, and we pray for wisdom and strength, and He helps us sort out our priorities, and purify our motivations. He shows us areas where we need change and that there's confession of sin and there is forgiveness and we get to know, we grow and get to know the heart of God. Relationship is being nurtured. We've heard Larry say that we are here to know him and make him known. This is where it starts. We, we can't know him without spending time with him. We all have 24 hours a day. We make time to do the things that are most important to us. God's word is our daily food to sustain us and strengthen us to become healthy people positioned to be used by him talking to a guy not so long ago who was very excited about the message he heard at his church. It could be this church, it could be any church. A lot of, you hear a lot of people excited about the message that they're hearing and praise God for that. And he said, wow, what a feast. I devoured a feast today. I got filled up with a nutritionally charged, supersized portion of God's word. Praise God for that. But for many, that one meal is all they get all week long. 
If that is the only meal I consume for the whole week, it will have the same effect on me spiritually as eating one physical meal a week is going to have on me physically. It really doesn't matter how supersized and nutritional that meal is. If I am eating once a week, I will grow lethargic, my resistance to disease will be compromised, and I will eventually become very sick. To be healthy physically, we eat rounded nutritional meals on a regular basis. And the same goes spiritually. The how-tos, the variety of approaches for spending time with Christ are for another message. It will suffice today to say that it is the most critical relationship and pursuit a person can have. And there are many, many tools available designed to help us to learn to spend time with Christ. I have one right here. It's a, it's a great, very well-written practical tool called God at the Center, Habits for Spiritual Growth, written by Luis Palau. Uh, it's 32 pages, rather l- decent-sized font for a 32-page small book, quick read, talking with God in prayer, reading God's book, cultivating dependence on God, practicing obedience to God, serving God and others, becoming God's ambassador. Many books like this. We've got a very limited supply of these at our table out front, and uh, so grab one, or you can order through Kindle or iBooks, 99 cents. And there are hundreds of tools like this that we can use. It's important enough to make it work and work through the challenges, and there will be. How do we position ourselves to hear his voice and respond to him? Make spending time with Jesus a priority. And don't let the static of lesser important things rob us from hearing his voice and responding to his his assignments. Static. Let me define what I mean by that. Static is defined in the dictionary as something that interferes with reception, a hissing sound, a crackling sound, noise that distorts or distracts us from being able to hear and understand a message. Static could be the noise of good things out of balance. None of us would say our kids' soccer or baseball or competitive or recreational sports are bad things. My mom introduced us to competitive sports, my, my brothers, my sister, and it was very, kept us out of a lot of trouble. It was very healthy. It was very good for us. Recreation, golf, softball, regular exercise, hobbies, there is an unending list of things that we do that are good things, can be healthy things if done with balance. But if any of the good things that we do become a priority and pushes God to the back burner, we are more involved in those things than God wants us to be. And we are hurting ourselves and sending our kids and those around us the wrong message. God may have all kinds of assignments for us to do, but we will be too busy to hear him. Too busy to pay attention. I stagger sometimes, wondering how much I must miss because I'm distracted by lesser important things. How many glorious assignments God may have used me for, but because I wasn't listening 
I was preoccupied. I wasn't positioned to hear, and the assignment went to someone else. I don't want that. You don't want that. Static of good things, out of balance. Static can be sin. Being involved in activity you know is not God's will, and the static is deafening. God, through Isaiah, spoke, saying in Isaiah 1, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. They were going through the motions of spirituality, but there was sin in their lives, and they were living a masquerade. They were playing a religious game with God. And he said, you are praying. I'm not listening. I'm hiding my eyes from you. Your hands are full of blood. There is guilt of sin all over you, but you don't need to stay there. You don't have to stay there. Wash. Make yourselves clean. No matter where you are, God is saying you can turn. You can wash. Forgiveness has been provided. And he goes on. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Come now. Let us reason. Let's reason. Come on. That's amazing the pleading heart of the Father who is calling and saying, whatever it is you're into, it is not insurmountable. It doesn't have to continue. You can be cleaned. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Though sin has left a deep stain that nothing we do can take out, he can make it white as snow. There is forgiveness. That is why God sent his son, the cross. The cross stands over every person and every sin and proclaims, I did it for you. Come to me. The cross, the power of the cross, the love of God expressed through his son who died and even prayed for his executioner's father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Forgive them. The heart of God to, to deal conclusively when Jesus said, it is finished. He accomplished for us something we, none of us could do for ourselves. And on the cross, he declares, come to me. Be forgiven. Be washed. Be clean. Come, let's reason. Let's start relationship. Let's carry on relationship. I love you, heart of God. He sent Jesus that all people, no matter who we are, like the Ethiopian eunuch, a seeker but lost, or like Cornelius, a God-fearing man, a praying man but lost, or even like Saul, the chief of sinners. Jesus, he sent Jesus that all people might become people who come to know him and be positioned to be used by him like Philip was and Peter was and Ananias. 
Here's a prayer. God, help us to make spending time with you a priority and not let the static of lesser important things or sin rob us from hearing your voice and responding to your assignments. Let me pray. Lord, we just thank you that you love us. Help it to be in every one of our hearts uh, amazing that you love us. May your love continue to rock our worlds. Lord, we just thank you that you you don't give up on us, that you meet us where we are, and we can't earn your love. You love us where we are right now. We just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We don't deserve your love, but, Lord, you love us. We love you because you first loved us, and, Lord, help us to love you more and help us, Lord, to dedicate our lives all the more to you as we continue through time. In Jesus' name, amen.